and welcome to Season 6, Episode 5 of A Mighty Blaze Podcast, now part of the Writer's Bone Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. A Mighty Blaze is your online and audio destination for the very best interviews with blockbuster authors, debut writers, and everyone in between. Today, we're welcoming an author who is not only one of the biggest stars of young adult fiction, but one of the biggest stars of fiction, period. Victoria Aveyard is the five times New York Times bestselling author of the world-famous Red Queen series, as well as the newer Realm Breaker series. She visited A Mighty Blaze to talk with fellow YA author Joe Moldover and Diesel bookstore owner Thatcher Robinson about her love for Diesel, what makes a reader decide to commit to a book series, her favorite tomato-related metaphor for writing, and why she needs a deadline or what she appropriately calls a sword hanging over her head. So settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the blaze torch to Joe, Thatcher, and their approachable yet peerless guest, Victoria Aveyard. Hello, book lovers, and welcome to Authors Love Bookstores with a Mighty Blaze. I'm your host, Joe Moldover, and I am so happy to be back with you today. Authors Love Bookstores is a program that brings together leading authors with their beloved independent bookstores and booksellers. I co-host along with my partner, Kimberly Hensel-Lawrence, and today I'm with you with an author who needs no introduction, but um, I will do a short bio for anybody who's just wandering by. Victoria Aveyard is an author and screenwriter. Uh, Hailing from a small town in Western Massachusetts, Victoria attended the USC uh, Writing for Film and Television program. She now has, I believe, we're up to five New York Times bestselling novels, counting her most recent, Realm Breaker, alongside two New York Times bestselling novellas and a New York Times bestselling short story collection. Uh, She lives in Los Angeles with her dog, Indy. Victoria, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for reorganizing when my schedule went a little crazy. Absolutely. We are also joined by Thatcher Robinson from Diesel, a bookstore, which is in Brentwood, California. Thatcher, thanks so much for being here. Oh, uh, this is amazing. I'm so happy to be here to have this conversation with Victoria and talk to a friend, meet you guys. This is all great. Well, Victoria, the reason that we're here uh, is because you nominated Diesel as your beloved and favorite indie bookstore. And so my first question is why? What is so special about Diesel? Yeah, um, so Thatcher and I have known each other since college. We've been friends for probably 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I have loved Diesel since long before Thatcher came into the picture there. They were one of the first indie bookstores to be really supportive of Red Queen back when I was a debut author before it even came out. Um, And I'm, like you said, I'm from a small town and in a big city like LA, it's really fun to find places that feel like a small town. And I think Diesel is very much your your small town bookstore, you know. There's no pretentiousness there. You just walk right in, you tell them what you're looking for. Everyone's there to help you or just let you browse. No one's gonna bug you, but if you wanna be bugged, they are very happy to help. And they have a great selection and I think they're really vital to the community that they're in. Yeah, I think, if I can, I think um, 
it was really cool. We had a, a event for um, Victoria's um, Triumph. I don't remember which book it was. I think it was Warstorm. Yeah, um, we had an event for the publication of Warstorm, and uh, turned out was incredible. Um, it was truly amazing. It was the biggest event we've had while I was at the bookstore in the four years I've been here. Um, but the coolest moment of the night was Victoria's dad was there and came up to me like as she was signing for everyone. I was like, this is this is the coolest place that we've had an event for her at a place that feels like our hometown kind of bookstore. Oh, that was, that. Yeah, yeah. And that was just a very, very cool thing to hear after a successful event. And, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, Victoria's big time now. So just <laughs> she remembers the little guys like us. Is, oh, my well, God. In sharp contrast to my dad, my mom spotted Christoph Waltz walking through the outdoor mall where the bookstore is. And she chased him down and asked him to take a picture with me. And he said, no. <laughs> Did she tell him who you were? Uh, he saw my event. So he was probably like, who the hell is that person? Oh, <laughs> One day he'll be in a, an yeah. APR adaptation and he'll, uh, he'll be like, oh. Oh, oh my God. God. I have to say that is such a mom moment. That is such a mom <laughs> move. And I also, I also have to say, Victoria, like I, I heard uh, an interview with you where you were talking about your dad uh, coming out to LA from Massachusetts to drive you home so that you could write your first novel. Yeah. And like, I just have to say, as a fellow dad, a plus, <laughs> like A plus dad moves there. Yeah, um, they're both plus parents. I'm very much in the position I'm in now because they encouraged me to pursue my dreams even back when it was film school. And then from there, I have this book idea. I want to write this book. And they were always there for me, but also very careful not to, you know, make me feel like I could just have things. There was always that undercurrent of, well, you need to work for it and you need to be good enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think they like indie now more than they like you? Yes, 1,000. <laughs> Is it now to see my dog? <laughs> you can go on vacation. Don't worry about it. We'll be there. Yeah. Oh, seriously. <laughs> you lost your job. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Um, Thatcher, tell me. I love to yeah. talk about live events at bookstores. Yeah. Tell absolutely. me a little bit about, like, the vibe at Victoria's event. I mean, what oh, is yeah. the appointment? Are people dressing up? I mean, what is kind of yes. what is going on in that setting? Yeah, Victoria's events, um, she has, I think, probably some of the best fans of, of a writer out there. And so so, so loyal to her, so just um, committed to it. But I don't know, like, I think challenging her as a writer, too, in a really wonderful way. Um, but the event we had with her had people in costume, you know, just as soon as we announced it, a couple months out, people who were the first to sign up so they could get a seat right up at the front Um to be there in front of her as she's talking and um it was truly yeah again in terms of size i can't even like explain the courtyard that we have our events in here seats comfortably probably a hundred and i think we had 200 plus standing room only non-covid friendly but this was years ago um just packed into and again like the Christoph Waltz passing moment was in an aisle of like just packed with fans of Victoria and he had to like just get his way through and i think uh, he's probably a little spooked by that um but it was truly um the book book events in general are it's a it's really lovely um the love of books is so apparent that people still come out for them um and an event like that really was just the apex of it um we had our like our second in-person event since covid last night and we had just like 50 to 60 people yes yeah, it, it was really great and really good turnout for this um uh, self-love poetry book by melody godfred and um 
she she was so happy about being at Diesel, bringing all of her friends and family back to make sure they were supporting local. Um, and it is a very um, we put a lot of uh, pressure on ourselves to do them right and make sure everyone's happy. And uh, they it went off really well. And it's it's just great to see always see people coming out to support books in an age which seems more, you know, media, um, TV, movies, all that dominated. Um, so. Yeah, they're very cool, and Victoria's was a was a great example of it. Yeah. You guys perform such a vital service, and I remember during the big surges here in LA, you know, Thatcher would be going in and boxing up books and handing them out at the door, and it was yeah. really, you know, it, it sucks to see that's how you have to deal with it, but it, it's great to see people still want the books, and people are yeah. still reading, and story is still such a unifier to us in times of crisis. Yeah. And I do think it was a it was it's all been an important reminder of how much we love places out in the world that we still want to go to and see you know we feels like we hit the pandemic and we were like ready for like oh if you truly just want to sit at home and get things delivered to you all the time and not go outside and because you have everything accessible um that was a that was an option but i think everyone realized how much they love the world and the people in it and the places they get to go and the community really stepped up to support us and make sure we were okay and they're still they're coming back in huge amounts now. Um, obviously, we're not out of it by any means, um, but um, it's been it's been really lovely to see the groundswell of support for for bookstores. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I haven't had a, an in person event yet, um, and I'm really excited because hopefully I will have one next month. But um, it, it's this is such a solitary business. You know, you really are just kind of writing in your cave for a little bit, and you send this book to a couple of people, and it goes out into the world. And you don't really get the feedback until much, much later. And that can be hard to deal with. And then when you take away, you know, the touring aspect and getting to see the actual readers, getting to see it land with them, getting to talk to them and knowing, you know, you were that kid and you would have given anything to stand in that line for another author. Um, I'm just really excited to get that back. Do you like being on tour? I know that um, I, mean, I know there are pluses and minuses, but I think I think you're one of the authors who's like the most um audience engaged hmm. and I mean do you, does that just come naturally to you or do you have to push yourself um it's definitely you know there's pluses and minuses and I think COVID has taught us like we are willing to roll with the minuses if we can get back to normal touring and um the normal way that we usually push our books in that first debut week because the tours do end up being very important I got lucky this year in that my virtual tour did uh really well I do think social media is, you know, more important than ever. And you can take that as a fortunate thing or an unfortunate thing. I did kind of pull back from Twitter and I find putting my energy into less baskets has been very good for me. Hmm. TikTok being one of them. Is it? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. The book community on TikTok is actually pretty wonderful. Once I figured out it wasn't all just dances from very, very like good looking young people. <laughs> it was okay, I can find the, the places of this app that I like. And there's a, I've heard tell of a, of a book TikTok or like just, or not the a community of, of <laughs> book recommendation, book talk, okay. Yeah. TikTok, I don't know. And they've been driving sales this year, really. You've yeah. seen some books explode who came out years ago because they've suddenly gotten popular on TikTok and they're a new audience is finding the books. It's really cool. That's really that cool. is awesome. Victoria, I'd love to ask you a writing question. Um, you know, a lot many of the people who who watch this show are themselves writers or aspiring writers, and um, the program itself and a Mighty Blaze were founded in response to the COVID crisis and what it was doing to authors and the bookstores. Um, 
you have a metaphor for writing which I'm pretty sure you made up because it's great and I've never heard anybody else use it, but it's kind of a response to the plotter pantser question oh, and it's okay. about tomatoes. Okay. And so like, I would love to hear you say that, but I would also love to hear you explain what's been happening to the tomatoes during COVID mm. and how has that worked out? Yeah, so the original <laughs> metaphor is the plotter versus pantser, which I think a lot of authors have heard about. Um, plotters, you know, obviously you plot out your story and then you write it. Pantsers, you fly by the seat of your pants. Um, George R. R. Martin, I believe, took it one step further and called it the difference between architects and gardeners. And architects have their blueprints and their plan and gardeners plant their seeds in the ground. And I like to describe myself as a gardener who plants tomatoes. So there's, you know, the stick that the plant, the tomato is going to grow along. So I know the general trajectory of the story. I'm very act structure based. I know my first act. I know where it starts. I know where it ends in act three. And I sort of find my way along those signposts, essentially. You know, you build the skeleton and then you put the flesh and the muscle on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. I think it's I think it's like such a great metaphor. So so have you been able to stay productive during COVID or has, has it been challenging for you? I am currently in my first round of edits on the second Realm Breaker book, and I've definitely been slower on this one than Realm Breaker. But Realm Breaker, I had a lot more time with. Um, I took pretty much a year off in between books before coming back to Realm Breaker and ended up not publishing in 2020 by design much earlier than we realized that 2020 was going to be a horrible time to publish anything. So I feel very smart in hindsight. Uh, but uh, it, it's been more difficult, definitely. I am lucky in that I worked from home before the pandemic. Um, my team is all still in place. I have the same editor, the same agent. I know a lot of people's teams have kind of been broken apart by this, um, depending on which publishing house or agency you're at. So I just feel really grateful that I can continue to work. And of course, the stress of the situation and, you know, the fear and just general life getting in the way is a thing, but I try to hit my deadlines as best I can. I'm very deadline oriented. I need the sword hanging over my head or else I'm just going to goof off. So whenever my editor says, oh, you know, get it back to me in a few weeks, I tell her, you need to give me a date <laughs> and I will make that date. I feel like Bruce Willis in Armageddon when he's like, I live 100 feet. That's how I feel at the end of my deadlines. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I've heard you refer to yourself as lazy in interviews, and then I look at your like work output, and nah, I'm like, not at I don't all. think no. I don't think she knows. I don't, think that, I don't think that word means what she thinks it means. Yeah, don't publish you, publish you, six you, books you, in the last <laughs> decade. Thatcher, yeah, well. yeah. I got. I, yeah. I want to come to you with a question. So totally. I think you know the. Um, I mean, again, I mean, the audience tends to be very engaged with sort of the publishing world and with the, yeah. and with and with with, with book selling. And kind of with this like perennial question of what makes some books successful and some books not. Um, yeah. It's kind of established in the intro that like if Victoria like writes something on the back of a napkin, it goes on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> yeah. but, like, but like the question is like, the question is why? And like, I, yeah. I was thinking about this in particular around um, fantasy series. Uh -huh. Because like when you write a fantasy series, you're asking the audience for so much life real estate. You know, yeah. like Victoria's books right. have gotten longer and longer over the years. Um, you know, I think I think the most recent was almost 600 pages. Yes. Um, I think that the uh, Red Queen ones went from like 300 to 400 to 500 to 600 pages. I mean, there's like mm -hmm. a lot. There's a lot of pages out there. Mm -hmm. 
And so like the question is like, what is it that makes a reader decide like, yes, I am going to commit not only to reading this book, but to reading the next three books. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, only speaking from Victoria's example, it's, she's an incredible world builder. Um, and just with books and just, I think because of how sort of decentralized for most lives books are now, um, the book has to be good. Like it's, it has to be, you're not getting people along for the ride unless, unless you're like, there's something there. Um, and I think that's about Victoria's books that has caught on with people and with me, I love them too. Is like, I mean, she, she, um, yeah, it's the world building. It's the character she creates. It's the plotting. It's just an incredible, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't put down, like I finished Realm Breaker and I was like, <laughs> I think I had an advanced copy and I was like, I, the, this isn't even out yet. And I can't even get the second, like, when's the second one coming? Um, messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's, I know it's the, um, the time it's, uh, I think it's just knowing you're in sure hands, knowing you're in the hands of a master and, and Victoria's, I think, proven that already. Um, and because I think, yeah, it's, it is the time component of a book is, is different from other things. And um, yes, yeah, I had to say, I think that, you know, some, there's some authors who have something great and then the next book just doesn't catch because it's not what people are looking for. And it unfortunately, you know, sort of vanishes a little bit. Um, so it's a, uh, the book, the book business can be fickle like that. Um, and I think more power to the people who, um, I don't know, to keep it going. And uh, I think that's a testament to, um, I was, I was just so amazed, like even moving from Red Queen to Realm Breaker. Um, it's not the same series. It's not that she's not just going through the same steps. It's not written in the same style. It's not written for the same age group. It's, 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 it's she's growing, I think, as a writer, which I think as her fans grow, it's important to, you know, um, get, they're getting something new and it's also great. So it's, uh, you know, I don't think they'd be happy if it was just Red Queen again. It's a new series. Um, it's an incredible alchemy. I don't know how, how writers do it, um, but it's, it's the talent. It's um, the persistence again, like showing up to write every day for the last decade now um, and putting out just quality work. Um, yeah, I, it's it's hard to explain, but I think it's you got to have a good book. You can't have no. It's not a good book. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work. Uh, that's just. Uh, Patrick, yeah, can you but... that speech at our next party in front of all their? <laughs> no, I will. I will tear you down and insult you. It's a lot of deprecation. Well, the, uh, the, the good news is this is being recorded, so fantastic. Uh, <laughs> you could play this. Yeah, so. uh, this is a deep fake, everyone. I am not here, <laughs> Thatcher. It's the newspaper of my day. <laughs> um, Victoria, question for you from the audience. This is from uh, Trisha Blanchard, who is herself an outstanding <laughs> YA fantasy author. Um, what are your favorite and least favorite parts of the world building that Thatcher mentions as being so outstanding? Uh, my favorite pro part is probably creating the physical world. I, anyone who has spoken to me knows that I'm a bit of a lunatic for maps. And that was one of the things that first got me in love with storytelling to begin with. Um, I would look at the maps in my brother's video game um, handbooks and I would wonder, you know, oh, can I draw that map? And then what's happening inside the world of that map? Uh, that's where the first sparks of writing came from. It's probably why I gravitate towards fantasy more, more than anything else. 
but that's usually where I start. I, I'm a very visual writer and I need to know the space that I'm in. So once I understand, you know, I'm writing a fantasy, here's the idea, here's the concept, what kind of world am I looking to put them in? And then you start pulling together the pieces that you need. And actually, I actually like put a pencil on a piece of paper and I draw a map outline and I scan it into Photoshop on my computer and I tool around with things that I don't really need to tool around with. I figured out that starting at plate tectonics is too much. And I can't <laughs> do that. I wasted a lot of Realm Breaker time on plate tectonics and biomes of the world. But it ends up, a lot of it ends up being helpful down the road, even if you think it's not going to be. Um, my least favorite part of world building is probably when I have to tell myself to stop. Because I will get to the point where I burn out my motivation of the story on just the world building. Mm -hmm. And have sort of the pieces of everything, the first few sort of steps, then it's time to get into the actual prose. And I and there's some discovery still left. So while you're writing the actual story, you discover the world as the characters do. You can change things, you can fix things, you can realize, oh, I actually need this, and this river needs to go here, or, or this religion actually is about this. Um, so it's all sort of an organic a process that really builds on itself. Mm. And now the world is kind of set and locked and I'm starting to run into those places where I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you to play around it. Why is there a mountain there? No. <laughs> you have to live with it. You, you oh, no, there's an ocean. They can't get there in 10 days. <laughs> I do mean? have written out my um, calendar of it takes this many days to get from here to here for this person, for on foot, for by horseback, for by boat. Wow. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Do you want to hear how successful authors got their start? The Queries, Quams, and Quirks podcast asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. Author Sarah Nicholas interviews authors of all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Sounds like something that would be up our alley. Listen on your favorite podcast app or go to sarahnicholas.com for more info. No. Oh my gosh. I think your visual I think your visual process is so fascinating. Um, I've never heard anybody describe it quite that way. Um, we have another Oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. Really quickly, I think Plate Tectonics said, save you. Oh, they're swimming by an ocean. Oh, no, it's on the continents. They're, oh. they're combining. They hit each other. The continental divide. <laughs> Tidal wave. Right. The whole time. <laughs> Another audience question, but before I put it up, um, I want to remind the audience that we exist for one reason and one reason only, and that is to support independent bookstores through COVID and beyond. It's an unprecedented time. So we love that you're here with us today or in a future time. We love that you're watching this recording. Um, but please, please, please go to Diesel Books website, buy a book, buy two books. Victoria has something like 2,600 pages of fantasy available there oh for you God. to buy and read. Uh, that's not even counting the novellas, I think. Um, uh, buy something else. Um, we're putting all of the links in the stream. So, um, so do it. Uh, okay, another question, Victoria, this is again for you. It's another fan question. This is a much more verbal type of a question. So get out of your right hemisphere and into the language part of your brain. But um, 
Um, Alessandro is waiting for the Italian edition of Realmbreaker coming October 19th, which is awesome. I think your books are in something like 40 languages or something insane like that. Um, How do you decide on the names of your characters? Um, Friends. Names in Realmbreaker are much more constructed and uh, thought out than the names in Red Queen. In Red Queen, some of the main character names really just popped to me in my brain. I heard Marabaro in my head and I was like, oh. That's her name. I heard Maven in my head. That's his name. Um, so it depends on what the world is demanding and what the story demands. On the Realmbreaker side, uh, I had a lot of characters from lots of different kingdoms and countries and backgrounds and languages. So that was something that was always at the forefront of my mind was making sure that the languages of the names were working to help the audience immediately recognize where that character is from. So you can push them along a little bit further and help them make the shortcuts because in a, in a book like that, the world building is pretty dense and pretty heavy. So you want to cheat wherever you can and cut corners wherever you can and allow the audience to make the jumps in logic themselves um, because you cannot explain every single little detail. So for Realmbreaker, it was thinking about, okay, what language are they from? What are the letters that that language in world gravitates towards? You know, are there certain letter pairings? Are there certain letters they don't use at all? And then it was building the names from that. Uh, so that was a little more intense than Red Queen. Mm, interesting. Um, question for either one of you. Was there a fantasy series when you were young, when you were kids, that totally sort of like lit the fire for you? Uh, jump ball for either one of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the big ones for me. I mean, Lord of the Rings, um, Harry Potter, and, and then when I was a little older, Game of Thrones are, I think, the... And a Redwall series as well. I'll go back. I've, there's probably many fantasy series I'm forgetting from my youth um, that I, yeah, delved into. But I think that fantasy series got me into just reading everything else and, like, got me, I, you know, tried my hand with fan fiction in my teens on that sort of thing when I was a lot younger. And um, What? I mean, nothing like, you know. What? No, like, I was, like, 12 years old. It was, oh, like... I was 13 when I started writing <laughs> and I was like 24 when I stopped. What? It was, a, it was there was no computers back then. They, they've been lost. The manuscripts have been. You no, weren't no. on fiction.net with me? <laughs> That's possible. Maybe we, um, maybe our paths crossed at some point. Who knows? Oh my God. Um, but, uh, but I think like, uh, yeah, those, it, it, I think that just sort of just create the creativity involved in just building a, a fantasy world is such a, such a, like oh you can do this like you don't have to adhere to the rules and regulations of the world you know and you can go into others and and speak to the world you know while also exploring new things um, and i think that's fantasy is so important i think as a as a young person to read and yeah redwall did that lord of the rings did that mm-hmm. harry potter did that for sure for me yeah i uh, this wasn't a series but the first fantasy book i remember reading and loving and just kind of having my imagination captured both by the story and by the possibility of the story was Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. Levine. Um, and it was it was great. And I remember there were like little moments where I'm like, why are the coins named that? Why won't she explain to me why the what the economics of the world is as a seven year old? So that was very strange. And then similar to that, we're very much the Harry Potter generation. You know, I think we were nine when the book came out. 17 when the last one came out it was our senior yep. year of college i want to say when the last movie came out and we all yep. kind of watched yeah. the theater. <laughs> so yeah. it was bookended our entire childhood we and grew adult. up with those kids yeah 
I cried yeah. when um, Emma Watson was cast as Hermione Granger. And I remember going to sleep that night wishing so hard that I would wake up in the morning and be her so I could oh. be my. <laughs> yeah. But, um, did, you, uh, did you turn 11 and, and very bummed out when nothing, no so, giant knocked on your door? Lord of the Rings, when I was 11, that was that was another big one, too. And if you've read Bonebreaker, you can definitely tell it's had a huge impact on my writing. And that was the book that it wasn't just I loved stories and storytelling. It was I needed to do this, too. Um, and that's where I sort of focused on writing, not necessarily as like a career path, because it's a it's a really weird thing to want to do and you kind of don't even know what the steps are you don't know that it's a real possibility same on the film side you don't know that's a real possibility until you start you know looking at what it is uh but that was the the door opening to you need to go through this and do this and be this um that's great um i have some more audience questions coming in. i need to pass on to the two of you i am um obligated to my 10 year old self to mention lloyd alexander in this conversation Cool. Uh, for anybody in the audience who hasn't read him, totally underappreciated, but fantastic um, uh, young adult fantasy writer. Awesome. Um, Thatcher, the internet mm -hmm. may melt over this whole Thatcher Robinson fan fiction thing. Um, <laughs> I think there's a movement growing. To, what were uh, the otters up to in his fantasy world? Uh, well, people want to know, like, fan fiction of what? Did you yeah. say that? Yeah. I want to know, too. Yeah. So yeah. when I was, it was when I was... I was reading Redwall. I don't know when, uh, if that was like when I was like eight to eight, eight to like 10 or 11, I wrote my own like Redwall, like, and like fan fiction. I loved the otters. The otters were big, were big parts of it. Um, wrote a lot of like stories on, on ships. And I don't know. I had a, I, I was having a lot of fun with it. I did. I wrote a lot when I was younger and sort of, um, I, I'm an actor transitioned into more of that side of things um but i did i cut my teeth on the on the forums and the 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 message boards of the late 90s the aol uh chat rooms <laughs> but, yeah the, di the dial up in a yeah. rpg forum like more yeah. Than yeah but it's funny to think about like i have these like grand images of what my stories were and i can't even imagine just how like like they, must, they must be somewhere. Two page the, long. Yeah. yeah, the internet's going to start working on this. Thatcher, they're going to they're going to find. I'm excited. Somewhere. Bring bring me back. Um, you're going to find out. I had characters like named Mare and stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a totally good, totally good. I want to get to as many of these questions in the comments as possible. We may not get to all of them. Um, uh, Victoria, um, I think that Ellie is concerned that I am teasing you too much about the length of your books. And so I think they just want to make sure you know that the longer your books are, the more emotional <laughs> damage you do. So just ignore me. Keep on going with the 600, 700 page books. Um, guys. Lovely <laughs> comment. Thank you. Um, and let me see. Next one is... Um, I'm going to consolidate a couple, Victoria. There's a couple that are coming in that are basically about um, reviews and audience feedback. And so I'm just going to kind of collapse a couple of these things together. Um, is it worth a potential reader reading a book's review? It specifically asks about Kirkus reviews, but we can sort of broaden that to um, other reviews. And also, how do you as the author um metabolize feedback 
Mm. Um, does it, um, do you read your reviews? Um, does it really give you food for thought or how do you take it? Yeah, I think coming up through film school in like workshop style screenwriting classes where you're constantly battered every single week and your work is torn apart every single week, sometimes by people who just don't like you. It gave me quite a thick skin and it made me very malleable as a writer because that's such a more collaborative industry. So reviews, you have to be in the right place to receive them, I think. I'm very much in support of if you want to go read your reviews, go do it. I do it. I will seek them out when I'm ready and when I want to read them. Um, when people send them to you and they're a bad review, that's like, uh, I would have probably gotten to it. Like, you don't need to just shit in my cornflakes this morning. Um, I'll put one I definitely read, read reviews in the beginning. Uh, when advanced copies go out, I will check out how they're doing. Um, when the book is actually published, I will check out how it's doing. But now that I'm a few months in, it's just not worth it to me to go back and look because I'm deep into the next one. Um, there's definitely things that I think is good critique. And I, I, we as artists are constantly being pushed to change and do better and grow with our work. And so you're always hoping that the next thing is the better thing. And I think one of the ways to do that is to metabolize that critique and discover, you know, what's a good note? What's a bad note? The audience, when you're doing something for an audience, if they have something that they're sticking on, they're usually right. It might not be what they're telling you the thing that's wrong is. There's the note beneath the note. So it is it is worth it to kind of figure out, well, what are they actually bumping on? And, and is this really a good no? Or are they just upset today and they're taking it out on me and that's fine? Mm -hmm. um, that's how I interact with reviews, I think. Um, and I think social media, especially when you go to social media, not like Twitter, it's much more. It's much easier to control um, who speaks to you and what they say. So that's that's much nicer. Yeah. Kind of coddle yourself a little bit because it's it's hard out here for everyone. Yeah. And you know, as thick as your skin can be, we're artists. We're fragile. These things can knock you down. It sucks when it's more personal versus work. Yeah. Work, I don't care. Mm. It's hard with. Um, I mean, criticism is like couches. I think so important. But and especially with just the everyone can comment kind of internet mm -hmm. culture, it can be hard to know who's coming at you in good faith, um, what they're um, what they're are they engaging with the text or the work in a um, I don't know, uh, an open minded way. It, it's just so hard to I can't even imagine. Yeah. Approaching that stuff because it can be. You, yeah. You just want to you just want to trust that they've looked at it, really considered it, that they gave themselves over to what the creator was going for. Cause that's a big part of whether the story is going to work for you or not. And then are they like, you know, I wish this would, you know, I kind of would work on this or are they like, what was, this was trash. And it's like, nothing's, nothing's truly trash. Like didn't work for you, but that's doesn't mean it didn't work for someone else. So if it's a subjective thing like that, you got to examine why that is and why it didn't work for you. And it's yeah. With today's just Twitter tweet, tweet storms and and this blurb here, this blurb there, it can be hard to it's sort get of the a sense of where the... The monetization of anger, as we're learning from all the Facebook whistleblower stuff. Mm, yeah. It is, it is interesting to read reviews back to back where one's like, I loved it, this was amazing, it did exactly this, and know that that person connected to the thing in the story that I connect to. That's awesome. And then the one right after is like, this didn't work for me, and you're just like, that's fine. That's, that's cool. what it is with readers. That's mm. fine. Or people who say... 
this wasn't like Red Queen at all, I totally hated it, or this wasn't like Red Queen at all, I totally loved it. I'm like, fine, I got a book for both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great. Um, Super interesting question here I'm going to put up. It's going to be another jump ball for the two of you. I'd love to get both of your thoughts on it. But this is from um, LR, um, who would like to know if there are any authors whose creative aesthetic taste you'd like to see work with yours in a collaborative novel project. So Victoria, that's aimed at you, but um, Thatcher, I don't know if like if you have any thoughts about who would be a good pairing for like Victoria Aveyard. Or any author. Yeah. Oh man. Um, You're off the dream team. Yeah, um, I, I was gonna, uh, there's this author I've been reading a ton of named Peter Swanson. He's a total thriller writer, um, but he's got a, he's an incredible, like his plotting and um, philosophy. It, it, he's just like, an, he's just a very, he writes very, um, like if you think of like what kind of Gone Girl may have done to you when if you read that or saw that movie, he does that in like almost every book in different ways. Um, and now I'm thinking about, it, I don't know, like, I don't know, Victoria working in with a, a thr- in a thriller, more mystery aspect, I think would be pretty amazing. I think like you could, yeah, yeah. you could dunk that. And I think working with a, yeah. I don't know how mystery writers and thriller writers do it. You have to be so smart. I just like I can't think of a mystery. I'm gonna, I know the whole thing, and I can't figure it out either. Well, that's funny because I feel like you, your books contain such. I don't know. Maybe I think you. Yeah. I think you made twists. Yeah, I do write better twists. at that than you. Yeah. That's another one of my cheats to keep the audience reading is I'll give you a twist at the end, and then you're like, "Well, I hated the book, but now I want to know what happens." I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as um, collaboration, I did a graphic novel non-canon with um Soman Chainani who writes the School for Good and Evil books and we did a crossover between Red Queen and School for Good and Evil and I think he would probably be someone I would work with again if I had to collab on a, on a novel because we have very similar um tastes we approach story and story structure in the same way we both have film school backgrounds so that makes sense and um he loves twisting a trope the same way I do. We use our tropes to manipulate an audience in the exact same way. And I think that would be really, really fun to work with him again. That's super fascinating. Um, I think we have time for one more audience question before we begin to wind down. Um, And this is um, Alessandra coming back to us. Uh, Victoria, Queen Alara is one of my favorite antagonists, is my favorite antagonist ever. What do you think about her and what inspires your running antagonists and their acting? And Alessandra, your English is awesome. Um, uh, yeah, love to hear about antagonists. I think that is such an interesting question. I think lots of people can write a compelling protagonist who people love. But like, how do you come up with a really juicy antagonist? This is the common advice people give. The, the, the antagonist needs to have a reason. They can't just be mustache twirling and evil for no reason. We want the antagonist that you're low-key, kind of like, I understand where they're coming from, and I get their worldview. Um, like Killmonger in Black Panther, I think, was one of the best villains to come out of the last few years in cinema because that was like, you know what? I kind of agree with you, and I see where you're coming from, and I understand your point. And then they become more tragic. But you can also, you know, push an understandable antagonist to worse heights than an antagonist who you just immediately dislike. Um, So, again, manipulating the audience, putting them through the ringer, give them an antagonist that they love or understand or they can hook to something in them. um, And that'll help a little bit more with Alara. You know, she loves her son and she's afraid of being replaced and she's kind of a product of her situation. So those were the key points I'm going off of whenever I'm writing her character. That's awesome. 
Um, can I squeeze in one, one more audience question for you? Because I know that people are just dying to get your input. Um, so last one of these, um, plot momentum. Um, indeed, your books are incredibly propulsive. Um, how do you make it, basically, how do you do it? I don't know if you can answer that question, but how do you approach plot to make it almost compulsive to finish the book as fast as possible? It's coming back to structure. I learned film structure in college, and that's been very hammered into me as the way that I structure my stories and the way I feel the rhythm of story. Um, and I think that is a structure that is very, very familiar to audiences, whether they know it or not. They can kind of feel the beats coming with the story. And similar to the world building corner cutting, it just puts them in it that much more and, and pulls them through it that much more because they can they can feel it happening to them. So, you know, I have my first act with my inciting incident, my second act in the midpoint where everything hinges. And then the end of the second act, when you're at your lowest point and you don't understand what's going to happen next. And then you have your third act with a twist somewhere in the middle. It, it feels very simple and it is simple, but the formula really works for me. And I find that it really works for an audience, especially when you're telling big, complex, dense, world building, heavy stories. You need to make the actual metabolization of the story easier. Mm, that's great. I, I love your answers to all of these questions. They're such thoughtful answers. Um, Thatcher, let me just come back to you. Um, love to hear any books that you'd like to recommend to the audience yeah. these days, um, which I will remind people they should only purchase by going to uh, the Diesel Books website, which is in the chat. Uh, and it's also up there. It's, it's not hard to find. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what, what are you recommending? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, um, I spoke with him briefly, any Peter Swanson thriller book, if you're looking for just a fast, great, like awesome mystery, um, for a vacation or just something to kill some time. He is incredible. Um, I loved, um, intimacies by Katie Kitamura. Um, this just came out a little while ago. It was a long listed for the national book award. Um, it's about a, um, interpreter at the Hague criminal court. Um, and, her job there working for as the interpreter for a dictator accused of war crimes, but also just her relationship with a married but separated man. And then this like sort of act of violence that happens in the city. And it's a real like real fast, uh, good read, well-written really, but um, inhalable and, but haunting asks a lot of really interesting questions, like real smart book. Um, and then one I don't have in front of me, but Matrix by Lauren Groff. Um, which just was a finalist for the National Book Award. Um, it's 12th century England set at a nunnery. Um, this uh, young woman gets sort of banished to this nunnery and then spends like the course of her life sort of turning it into this cultural force. And it's a uh, really well, like Lauren Groff is just an incredible writer. And it sort of like, rem I, I said, like reminded me of what fiction's capable of at certain points in that book, her use of symbolism. And um, so that those two, those three, are my top picks right now that people are looking for good books yeah awesome awesome rex victoria anything that's on your mind that you want to put out there i'm currently reading the jasmine throne by tasha surrey this is we're talking about deep world building fantasy that pulls you through that is propulsive this book is amazing and then um next on my lift list afterwards i'm going to be reading these violent delights by chloe gong the sequel comes out next month i believe it is a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920s Shanghai, and there's also a monster involved, and it's more West Side Story. They're part of rival gangs, which is really cool. Awesome. And then um, I've been dying to read this. It's been on my bookshelf since it came out this summer. This is She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. 
it, it's a Mulan inspired kick-ass feminist fantasy. Cool. Sounds amazing. And, uh, and Victoria, tell us what we can expect from you, both in terms of the Red Queen coming to the screen and in terms of Realm Breaker. Yeah, um, so Red Queen right now, we're with Peacock. We're hoping to be a streaming show on their app, network, whatever we're calling them these days, platform. Platform, I believe, is the word. And um, I am hard at work on the pilot with uh, my incredible, incredible showrunner, Beth Schwartz. She comes to us from the Arrowverse. She ran the last few seasons of Arrow. Um, and it's just been a real, a real privilege to work with her, not only to work with another woman in entertainment, but a woman who has run another show and a sci-fi fantasy show at that. They're very, very rare. And somehow we managed to snag her. And she and I have just had a really amazing experience collaborating. And I feel very, very safe, you know, with her taking over the Red Queen world once, um, once things really get moving. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, thank you for the update. On behalf of the audience, um, we are running low on time. It's been a complete, complete pleasure yeah. to speak to the two of you. Um, there's been revelations about Thatcher's past, about, uh, <laughs> about fan fiction. Uh, there's been information about Red Queen. There, there's just a lot going on here. But um, it has been a great conversation, and the audience has, has completely loved it. So thank you so much. Um, to the audience, um, mm. go buy books. Uh, buy them from Diesel. Buy your holiday books now, because now is the time to be doing it this yes. year. Um, all of the links are in the chat. Um, come back next week. I will be with Adib Karam, author, author of the Darius the Great books, um, in support of Rainy Day books in Kansas City. So don't miss it. Same place, same time. Um, to the two of you, Thatcher Robinson, Diesel Books, yeah. Victoria Aveyard, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was great, Victoria. Wonderful to talk to you. I'm so thanks for bringing you next readers week. into the yeah. <laughs> And uh, thank you, Joe. Absolutely. And to the audience, thank you. Stay well and keep reading. Thank you for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. My debut novel, a YA fantasy called Herrick's End, is available now if you want to check it out. We'll see you next time for an episode featuring historical fiction author Amy Runyon. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. Mm -hmm.